0: Buzzard writes in. Stop messing around singing children's songs and give us some advice, Mansion. Seven exclamation points. Thank you for that. Thank you for the exclamation points, those extra exclamation points. Really hit home. Really made me think extra about this email. By the way, you can email the show. RotoUnderworld at gmail.com. Also on Twitter, at RotoUnderworld. You want advice, Buzzard? Thank you for that. You want advice? Huh? You want advice? Really? Is that what you want from me? Is that that why you're tuning in? Well, You can't handle my advice. I don't think you can handle it. I don't think you can. I know you can't handle my advice. Want to know why? Because I read responses to my advice on Twitter. Someone asked for my advice last week. They asked for a start-sit decision help. Nothing I hate more than start-sit decisions. Oh, God. That's why we set up the Roto Underworld Concierge Service. You go to playerprofiler.com, you click on concierge at the top, submit the form, and you can ask me any question you'd like. And I welcome it. I'm here at your beck and call. I'm here for your service because you're paying me $45 to do so. That's our price. Before the season starts and I help you with your draft, the concierge service is $60. In season, if you want to sign up now, get a discount. $45. Makes sense. Why do we have that price? Why it's That's a lot more expensive than other people charge because, well, time is money. And I actually spend quite a bit of time with the concierge customers. Once you have access, the, the floodgates open. Suddenly one question a day becomes two questions a day becomes three questions a day. And that's fine. You're paying me for my service. Absolutely. Happy to do it. But once in a while, I will throw someone a bone on Twitter. They will ask me a start-sit decision. they desperately reaching out for guidance. Please, Fantasy Mansion, help me. Who do I start? Give me your advice. I need your counsel. I look at the this message in a bottle on Twitter in my mentions, and I say, Ah, oh, you really should be paying for this, but this one time I'll give you a freebie. What's your question, little guy? Go ahead, go ahead, ask away. Who do I start in flex? Stevie Johnson or Carlos Hyde? And I come back, oh, that's easy. <sighs> no brainer, Carlos Hyde, done. And I walk away. I think I'll, I may never hear from this person again. Maybe this was their one moment of weakness. They went back and forth all week. They couldn't figure it out. And finally they, they reached out to me. Desperate for a sounding board, and I responded. They played Carlos Hyde, and everyone was happy because I think we know what Carlos Hyde did. Carlos Hyde, Monday Night Football, 168 yards and two touchdowns. 6.5 yards per carry. And it's worth noting, threw in a couple catches for 14 yards, so he's not going to be without receptions this year either. He is shaping up to be an RB1 in fantasy. Carlos Hyde, absolutely. We are more inclined to get enthusiastic about the players and the performances from Week 1 than we are to be overly concerned, to get overly anxious. That's what we talked about on yesterday's show. So I was incredibly heartened by the Carlos Hyde performance. He's young. He's big. He knows how to play football. I mean, there's just a lot to like about Carlos Hyde. And the concerns were, well... San Francisco's offensive line has been ravaged by injuries and early retirement. Their offense as a whole has just been ravaged. Talent leaking out of the franchise on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. You don't want anything to do with San Francisco. What's wrong with San Francisco? What's in the water in San Francisco? Has San Francisco's football team been plagued by some disease? Run! There's cholera in San Francisco Bay! Every, I heard this analysis over and over and over again. Just avoid San Francisco 49ers. Why? Why are you avoiding San Francisco 49ers? Well, that, 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 that franchise is just a mess. A- any more details? Any more measurements? Any metrics? Not really. Not really. Well, I have a metric for you. In college, Carlos Hyde ran for 7.3 yards per carry. That's Melvin Gordon, Tevin Coleman territory. He achieved bell cow status at Ohio State at an early age, age 20 and has an above-average speed score 101.0. So he's a relatively fast big man who demonstrated at the college level that he could be hugely efficient. And he was one of less than 20 running backs in the NFL that we knew was going to have essentially every down workload, first and second down, goal line, red zone, and that he was sneaky, capable in the passing game. had a 75% catch rate last year. He was also sneaky elusive last year, with a 32.6 juke rate. That was 7th in the league. We talk about all these flawed options at the running back position. Got to wait for Todd Gurley to come back. Adrian Peterson is 30 years old. He's had over 2,000 carries, and he just experienced a year off away from football. Matt Forte's efficiency fell off a cliff last year. All these options at the running back position. Flawed, 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 flawed. Also, old, 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 old. The aging of the running back position. Where were the young running backs? Where were the young bucks? And we were excited about the rookies, right? We were excited about the rookies. The Johnsons, Big Johnson, David Johnson, Little Johnson, Duke Johnson, non Johnsons, Amir Abdullah, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Tevin Coleman. This was the year. This was going to be the replenishment of the running back position. But there were a couple running backs who looked similar to one another, who were also young, but had a couple years' experience at least one year experience, in the case of Carlos Hyde, Eddie Lacy and Carlos Hyde, they look similar. Went to major conference programs, were bell cow backs with those programs, demonstrated efficiency at the college level, and now have been bequeathed workhorse status at the NFL level. These were precocious running backs. Carlos Hyde was the first running back taken in the 2014 draft. And we forget, right? We forget. We see one running back break out The other running backs wallow a bit for whatever reason. Carlos Hyde was behind Frank Gore last year. There was a lot of excitement last year about Carlos Hyde. He was drafted within the first 10 rounds last year. A lot of people were excited about Carlos Hyde the way they were excited about Jeremy Hill coming into the league. Jeremy Hill got his opportunity when Gio Bernard went down. Frank Gore never went down. Frank Gore played all 16 games. Carlos Hyde never got his opportunity. And that explains the difference in ADP. Jeremy Hill, top 20 ADP. Carlos Hyde, his ADP on MyFantasyLeague.com, 42.7 to end the year. Carlos Hyde was the better value because Carlos Hyde is scheduled to get a better opportunity share and was available rounds later. They profile very similarly. And even their elusiveness last year, when you look at metrics like Juke Rate, evaded tackles per touch on PlayerProfiler.com, Carlos Hyde's exciting. But he's in San Francisco. Ugh, San Francisco. San Francisco, don't want any part of that franchise, stay away, that's what we talk about, right, you don't ever want to cross people off your list, especially for reasons that don't make sense, right, why are you doing that, reasons you can't explain, we did a show on this, why, are, why is everyone avoiding all San Francisco 49er players, because of some nebulous cloud that has descended upon the franchise that no one can explain, Essentially, superstition. The team has been bewitched. Stay away! Okay, go ahead. Fall for those narratives. Fall for the superstition. And let someone else draft Carlos Hyde. And watch him break out. And exceed Jeremy Hill's fantasy output this year, despite being drafted multiple rounds later. Again, against the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings do not have a bad defense. They have Anthony Barr. They have a number of exciting players on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think they're going to be a top 10 defense necessarily, but this isn't going to be a bottom five defense. Carlos Hyde, 26 carries, 168 yards, and two touchdowns. It's pretty amazing. Now on playerprofiler.com, Christopher Garish wrote an article about Bishop Sankey and how historically, when you look at Alfred Morris and others, running backs that have been paired with a running quarterback have experienced an uptick in efficiency. So just go to playerprofiler.com, search for the article labeled Bishop Sankey. You can read Christopher Garish's analysis of running backs that are paired with running quarterbacks. It's an interesting piece. It really was. It really made me think, and it made me consider bumping a handful of players like Bishop Sankey and Carlos Hyde that are paired with running quarterbacks, even LaShawn McCoy. So my advice to this person who asked me, Stevie Johnson or Carlos Hyde, of course, Carlos Hyde. Why are you question? How is this your question? How is this the moment you broke down and in desperation reached out to a random werewolf sipping a martini on Twitter asking for advice? The Stevie Johnson-Carlos Hyde conundrum is the one that you couldn't figure out? You couldn't crack that one? Really? Really? Wow, okay. I think I know what happened. He was hearing the superstitious thoughts ringing in his head. Stay away from the players on San Francisco. Stay away. Ooh. Ah. This place is haunted. No. No. No, it's not. You know who's haunted? All the fantasy opponents that played Carlos Hyde in week one, they're the ones that are haunted. This is the best part of it, though. This is what... Frustrates me, and this is why I'm so glad we set up the concierge service. And it it makes me even less likely to answer a start-sit decision randomly from a non-concierge customer. Here's what happened. Stevie Johnson went out and had a good game. Scored a touchdown, bunch of yards, bunch of catches. Great. Good job. Had a WR2 week. Stevie Johnson, great work. Productive. I received at about 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I received another note on Twitter from the same person. Carlos Hyde hadn't played yet. And it read as follows. You better be right about Carlos Hyde. Oh, really? Oh, really? My free advice better be right. Okay. You're heckling me? Is that what you're doing? You're heckling me before the game even starts? Before Carlos Hyde has a chance to take one carry? You're already heckling me for my free advice? That's why. Does everyone want to know why Concierge exists? Why I can never figure out why anyone gives out free advice on any social media platform? Why I can't figure out how anyone has the nerve to impose on someone else and ask them for free advice? I don't understand where the courage comes from that you would do that because of that. Because of that nonsense. What is wrong with you people? Honestly, the game hadn't even started yet. And you're already freaking out, overthinking. Relax, man. And even if you can't relax, don't bother me about it. Don't make me feel bad. Who the hell are you to do that? I just gave you free advice. Never again. Never again. That's why. And then he writes back after Carlos (laughs) Hyde wins him his matchup. Oh, thanks a lot. You were right. You're the best. Too late. That's too late. You shouldn't have clicked send on your heckling message earlier. It's too late. There's nothing you can say for eternity, that could take back your gratuitous, unnecessary heckling. Can't stand it. So yeah, you want advice? Huh? You want advice? Listen to the advice, take it or leave it, and leave me alone. How about that? How about that? Here's my advice on Dante Moncrief. You could not think of in your mind's eye, you could not create a fictional scenario where you could create a better fantasy situation than what you have with Dante Moncrief at this very moment. You can't! You can't, in your mind's eye, think of a better player landing in a better situation who happens to be on the waiver wire than Dante Moncrief on the Colts right now, at this very moment. You can't think of it. You can't. Go ahead. Think of it. Try to think of it. Try to imagine a scenario in your mind that could be better than what we're looking at with Dante Moncrief. Go ahead. I'll give you eternity. Go ahead. Can't think of it, can you? No, can't think of it. You can't think of it. Does it doesn't exist. But I still get these questions, lots of questions, and I'm happy to answer them, especially if they're coming from the concierge customers. By the way, the concierge customers, another interesting thing, they also don't heckle me. Oh, no, they don't come back over the top with panicked messages accusing me of, of giving them the wrong advice. No one has ever questioned the advice midway through the game. And even if, you give the wrong advice. Oh, sometimes shocking it happens. You tell someone to start player X over player Y and player Y outscores them. Oh my. Oh wow. So so you can't predict the outcome of these games with absolute certainty? No way. No, that's crazy. Yeah, that's true though. You can't predict them. Sometimes I'm wrong. Wow, that's crazy. That's nuts. Unbelievable. Concierge customers never, ever, 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 And I have a lot of them now. Never heckled me about anything. It's only those that are are drafting off the free advice. Oh yeah, they're the ones. The ones that feel this feeling of entitlement. I'm entitled to your advice and not only am I entitled to your free advice, I'm entitled to heckle you if I think the advice is just... Happens to be trending in the wrong direction, it's not even wrong yet. It's just, I, I can't. It's uh, that series of tweets from Sunday still continues. As you can tell, it's Wednesday now, it's still blowing my mind to this day. Still blowing my mind. So, with Dante Moncrief, though, let's give you some more advice. You want advice? Here's some advice go get Dante Moncrief. And I get a lot of questions Should I drop this player to pick up Moncrief? Yes. Should I drop? Yes. Should I drop? Yes. To get Dante Moncrief, should I drop? Yes. To pick up Moncrief, should I drop? Yes. The answer is always yes. Whoever you want to drop, yes. Get Moncrief. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Drop everybody to get Moncrief. Absolutely. Now what I like, Now, I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot and you're like, well, if you don't like the heckling that you're receiving on Twitter, why even go to social media? Just turn it off. Why don't you delete your account if you don't like it? Why are you complaining? Why are you spending 10 minutes of your time on your podcast complaining about a tweet? Complaining about a troll. What's wrong with you? Just delete your account. If you can't handle it, delete your account. No. You want to know why? Most of the tweets I receive are great. They're inspiring. I woke up this morning and someone sent me a tweet and said, hey, I woke up and I looked at my lineup and there sat Dante Moncrief. I won him while I slept. This is going to be a good day. Anytime you can receive Dante Moncrief with a fab bid, a trade, a waiver wire claim, that day, the day Dante Moncrief arrives on your team, that is a good day. And with that, let's listen to some Ice Cube. Like today was The cowards. Yeah. Today, them fools tried to blast me. Police and they roll right past me. Yeah. Didn't even look in the brother's direction as I ran the intersection. Yeah. yeah. Can't believe I got brain. Dante Moncrief. I was glad everything had worked out. Dropped the bird off and then chirped out. Today was like one of those five dreams. Can't believe I got Dante Moncrief. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It's all about that positive energy. No reason to freak out after week one. This was positive energy. This is the week of rose petals at your feet and trumpets playing. This is a feel-good week, everybody. Play Ice Cube. It's a good day. We're getting Moncrief. It's happening. Moncrief is happening. There's nothing bad. It's only good. And there's something else that's really cool about what happened last week. Moncrief didn't go out and do that thing where he has four catches for 122 yards and two touchdowns and just melts my face. You want to hear my, I don't have time on this podcast to tell you all the things that I want to tell you about Dante Moncrief because I've spent multiple shows in the past talking about Dante Moncrief, expressing my love for Dante Moncrief. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash podcasts, scroll down. You can click show more and show more. You go back through time, go back into 2014 and you can see a number of of shows devoted to Dante Moncrief. There was Sleeping with Dante Moncrief. There was F-35 Dante Moncrief, which compared Dante Moncrief to a fighter plane. And there was, of course, the famous Dante Moncrief Dance Party, which was followed by the Dante Moncrief Dance Party Apocalypse a week later, where we had Dante Moncrief, we were playing Dante Moncrief, we won all our matchups and Daily Fantasy Cash, Using Dante Moncrief in the week that he had four catches for 122 yards and two touchdowns, that stat line will be, is seared into my brain. I'll never forget that. And then we played him the next week. We continued to roll the dice. We said, you know what, I'm not going to cash out. We're going to go double or nothing here on Dante Moncrief. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like one catch. What did he do that week? Let's look, let's look at that week. Yeah, that was, that was uh, yeah, he had one catch. He had one reception two yards oh god Uh that was bad yeah he had a three catch 134 yard and two touchdown week in week 13 against washington he followed that up with a three catch for 33 yards i think that might have been the apocalypse one of them was the apocalypse it was either week nine which followed up his 113 yard and one touchdown game he followed that up with one catch for two yards which was just devastating. I don't think that was the apocalypse, though. I think the dance party apocalypse happened after his three-catch for 134-yard, two-touchdown week. We played him, started him, three-catches, 33 yards, lose. Oh, I know why it was an apocalypse, because that was a playoff game. That was a fantasy playoff game, week 14. You kind of need to be as perfect as you possibly can. You can't play a streamer player instead of one of your studs and have him post three catches for 33 yards. That was a problem. That was what that was what inspired the Dante Moncrief dance party apocalypse. He was hugely volatile last year because Reggie Wayne was in and out of the lineup. The Colts didn't know what to do with Hakeem Nix. He was terrible. And T.Y. Hilton was their locked-in number one receiver all year. And so whenever you're the number two or number three receiver, you're going to be volatile. Most receivers are volatile. Wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes in fantasy – all those receivers outside the top 10 or 12, they're all volatile. They're going to have big weeks and down weeks. That's how it works. Unless you're the number one target hog receiver on a top 10 offense, you're not going to have regular, steady, 10 points or more every week fantasy production. That kind of fantasy production is reserved for Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson, Jordan Matthews now. right? has to be Jordan Matthews. He's, he's in a high-volume offense, and he's the target hog. And he has the size and the speed and the talent profile, college dominator. Jordan Matthews checks all the boxes, similar to Dante Moncrief. So Jordan Matthews now is in that category, that very special category, where he's not really that volatile. He's just great every week. Read up there with Julio Jones. So Dante Moncrief isn't going to be that this year. He certainly wasn't that last year. Had the highest volatility of any receiver. This was the fantasy point output goes 1.9, 24.3. 1.2, 8.2, 29.0, 6.3. 1.2, 8.2, 29.0, 6.3. That was Dante Moncrief last year. It was exciting. It was a roller coaster. <laughs> and you had a good feeling when he was playing Washington, one of the worst pass defenses in the league. You said, well, it's good that this could happen, and it did. And you roll it over, and eh, fail, crash. So that leads me to my advice on Charles Johnson. You want more advice? You want more advice? I have more advice. Don't give up on Charles Johnson. How about that advice? Because Charles Johnson's in that other category. He's in that volatile category where he is a WR2-WR3 on any given week. And so he's going to be up and down. Last week against the 49ers, it wasn't great. He had three targets for two catches and 27 yards. 13.5 yards per reception, but only two receptions. Only 27 yards. And it looked like, based on the target breakdown, that Mike Wallace was the lead receiver. That he was the top of the target totem pole. But we don't know that yet. He only had seven targets. That wasn't a lot. That wasn't like Jordan Matthews going over 10 targets. Just seven targets. Kyle Rudolph also had seven targets. Jarius Wright had four targets. The Vikings scored three points. It was just a bad game. They had a bad game. Adrian Peterson, 10 carries for 31 yards. Bad game. Everyone had a bad game. Teddy Bridgewater took five sacks. It was just a bad game. And so you can't take a lot away from that. Charles Johnson had three targets. It could be switched next week. Charles Johnson gets nine targets, Mike Wallace five. You don't know. I don't think it'll be the case. I think most weeks it's going to be Charles Johnson because Charles Johnson is the starting receiver in one receiver sets. He outsnaps Mike Wallace. And there's nothing in, in, in the, those two respective profiles that says Charles Johnson isn't a better receiver than Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace is inefficient. In fact, Mike Wallace dropped a touchdown. It was a touchdown in his hands. He he was six for seven. I understand that. He had a great catch rate. Mike Wallace looked deficient in the box score, but he also dropped a touchdown that was in his hands in the end zone. So that's what Mike Wallace does. He's not a reliable receiver. Charles Johnson is. And I believe at the end of the year, Charles Johnson will have more targets, more yards, and probably more touchdowns than Mike Wallace. Maybe not more yards. Mike Wallace, I believe, will have a a greater yards per reception, so Mike Wallace might have more yards, but Charles Johnson, I believe, will have more receptions and more touchdowns because he's bigger. He's going to be their main red zone weapon. Charles Johnson, absolutely. But because Mike Wallace is there and because the Vikings are not a top 10 offense, Charles Johnson is not going to be a top 10 receiver this year, and he's not going to have that steady target volume every week that is going to make him a consistent contributor A consistent guy that you're you're happy you started there's going to be dud weeks but that's most receivers again that's all receivers outside the top 10 or 12 are going to throw clunkers particularly when their team scores three points the receiver is tethered to the quarterback they need the quarterback to play well and the team to play well to matriculate the ball downfield in order to score fantasy points and when that doesn't happen they're not going to do it this is the same concerns that we have about other players deandre hopkins DeAndre Hopkins is going to have weeks like Charles Johnson because he doesn't play in a great offense. He's going to have weeks where he scores those two touchdowns, and he helps you, but he's going to have quiet weeks. It's just that we've seen DeAndre Hopkins do it before. We've seen DeAndre Hopkins post a 1,000-yard season, so that makes us sleep well at night, knowing we're starting DeAndre Hopkins. We're so much more confident in DeAndre Hopkins. We've seen him do it. We've seen him be a WR2 in fantasy. We know he's fantasy relevant. We've seen it happen. We haven't seen it yet with Charles Johnson. So many times we're going to be reminded that Charles Johnson has never had a WR1 week in his career. He's never been a WR1 ever. Not in any given week. He's overrated. Fade the hype. No. It's like we talked about yesterday. We're not overreacting to things that happened in week one. You're going to be encouraged by what you saw with Carlos Hyde. Absolutely. But are you going to panic about Charles Johnson? Absolutely not. There are a couple players I am a little bit worried about, though. A couple receivers. I am. One of them is Brian Quick, and one of them is Allen Robinson, because those players play on bottom 10 offenses. Really bad quarterback play. Sammy Watkins as well. So there might be a handful of receivers that I'm concerned about, a little bit, a slight bit of concern, and we had a buzzard right in. So let me get this straight. You're not worried about the players that you missed on in week one. All that matters are the players you were right about. Why does anyone listen to you? Thank you, Buzzard. Again, contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. The answer is yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And why does anyone listen to me? Why does anyone ask for my advice on social media? Why do people listen to this show? I don't know. I don't know. Great question. But yes, yesterday was an oversimplification. Most receivers, most tight ends, most quarterbacks, I am not worried about at all. I'm not worried about Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not worried about Ryan Tannehill. I'm not worried about Jameis Winston. I'm not worried about Charles Johnson. Most of the receivers that didn't play well, quarterbacks, tight ends that didn't play well, I'm not worried about at all. Zero anxiety. This is a feel-good week. But to say I'm worried about none of them would be an oversimplification. Yes, of course. There are certain specific situations where you have to look at it and go, wow, okay, I'm going to start feeling a little bit of anxiety about these players, and I think that's understandable. Brian Quick would be the first one because Brian Quick wasn't active. And they said he was a healthy scratch. What's up with that? What is up with that? What is up? Brian Quick, when he played last year, was clearly, easily, by far and away, the best receiver on the Rams. So you thought a healthy Brian Quick would be the number one receiver. And like DeAndre Hopkins, the number one receiver on a bad offense can still produce, can still be a WR2 or a WR3 in fantasy. Can't really be a WR1. There's it, a sort of a glass ceiling there unless you're the 2013 version of Josh Gordon or the 2003 version of Anquan Bolden, you have to be a a once-a-decade outlier to crack that ceiling. But it's possible. And so I figured, based on Brian Quick's profile and his on-field efficiency last year, particularly his his target premium, being a more productive on a per-target basis than his peers on the Rams, I figured, geez, the one thing you want out of your receivers on bad teams, is at least dominate the target share. That's the only way you're going to be fantasy relevant if you're on a bad offense with a bad quarterback. If you're the receiver, you have to at least dominate the target share. And that's what you were hoping Brian Quick would do. And then he was inactive. That's what you were hoping Sammy Watkins would do. And then he posted zero yards. And then Percy Harvin looked like the focal point of the offense. Not Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins had three targets. Percy Harvin had five. Robert Woods had two. So Sammy Watkins was second on the totem pole. But that could be a situation similar to Charles Johnson, where next week it flips, and Sammy Watkins has seven targets, and Percy Harvin has five. We'll see. I'm not that worried, actually. You'd think zero yards, but I I couldn't be less worried about a zero reception, zero yard, zero touchdown performance than I am about Sammy Watkins. But if you had me on truth serum, if you had me hypnotized on a couch and said, "Are, are you at all one shred of worry about Sammy Watkins, I would have to admit, yes, yes, you, you have to admit, a healthy Percy Harvin is siphoning targets away from Sammy Watkins, and there's precious few targets to go around on a team like the Buffalo Bills that focuses on the run and is throwing the ball less than 20 times a game. I like Tyrod Taylor because I like the fact that he can run 40 yards last week, and he's he's accurate, 14 for 19, 10.3 yards per attempt So much encouraging about Tyrod Taylor, but the one thing that's not there with a Rex Ryan system, Rex Ryan's philosophy is minimize risks, minimize throws, play defense, run the ball. That's a problem if you're Sammy Watkins. You are going to be hugely volatile, and the valleys could be zero catches. So that's a little concerning. It is a a, a tad concerning, but I'm not out here trading Sammy Watkins because I don't own Sammy Watkins. I've never owned Sammy Watkins. I've never got the fascination with Sammy Watkins. When Sammy Watkins came out of Clemson, he was compared to Julio Jones. That didn't make any sense. But that's why we have playerprofiler.com. We have playerprofiler.com, so when Dante Moncrief receives 10 targets in a game, you can go to playerprofiler.com, look up Dante Moncrief, and go, oh, wow, okay. So this guy runs a 4 has a 119.5, 96 percentile head-adjusted speed score, a 133.2 93rd percentile burst score, a 10.20 catch radius 85th percentile. Dante Moncrief has that Andre Johnson looking profile. He looks like a younger Andre Johnson on the field. Those two are lined up next to each other. They had Dante Moncrief in the slot and Andre Johnson as the flanker position in three receiver sets. And it looked like a doppelganger. Andre Johnson looked a little bigger because he's gained a little weight. That's what it looked like. And the beauty of what happened last week was as follows. Dante Moncrief in the box score didn't look as impressive as Jermaine Curse, who had more receptions and more yards. Didn't look as impressive as Nate Washington, who had more catches, more yards, more touchdowns. So, to the untrained eye, to those that don't use playerprofiler.com, you could see fantasy gamers going out and putting a claim in on Nate Washington before putting a claim in on Dante Moncrief just based on the counting stats alone. So that was encouraging. That makes Dante Moncrief a little more affordable this week. Whereas if he had gone out and like we talked about before, posted one of those three receptions, 134 yards and two touchdown stat lines, he would have been unattainable for a lot of us. Whereas his output was just muted enough on Sunday that made him attainable if you had a a waiver claim in the middle numbers. If you didn't want to spend 50% of your budget, your fab budget, he was attainable. The other thing, watching the game. Dante Moncrief didn't just come in when T.Y. Hilton went down. When you look at the box score, you might assume that. You might assume, okay, I heard that T.Y. Hilton left the game, and then I see 10 targets for Dante Moncrief. That makes sense. T.Y. Hilton went down. They brought in Dante Moncrief, and then he started getting T.Y. Hilton's targets. That's not what happened. When you watch the game, from the first snap, Dante Moncrief was in the game as the slot receiver in three receiver sets. They had Andre Johnson at flanker, which we knew they would, and instead of putting T.Y. Hilton in the slot and having Philip Dorsett play the stretch X position, they had T.Y. Hilton playing the stretch X position, and they had Dante Moncrief in the slot, which was hugely encouraging from the first snap of the game. You were thinking, oh, there's number 10. Oh, wow, they're playing Moncrief. He's the starter in three receiver sets. At that point, after the first snap of the Colts game, you should have been looking to pick up Dante Moncrief. And then what happened? He went out and received 10 targets. So someone might look at the situation and go, well, I'm thinking about picking up Dante Moncrief, but T.Y. Hilton's going to be back in two weeks. Eh. Nah. I like Dante Moncrief, but if I'm only going to have him or if he's only going to be useful for two weeks, eh. Maybe I'll go pick up Nate Washington who's the clear-cut starter. Here's the problem. Nate Washington's quarterback is some disgusting mixture, some unholy combination of Ryan Mallett and Brian Hoyer. Dante Moncrief's quarterback is Andrew Luck. And so even once T.Y. Hilton comes back, Dante Moncrief slides back into the slot and what? Gets another 10 targets. That's what you have to project for Dante Moncrief. Between 6 and 10, maybe even 12 targets. He had games last year as a rookie where he received more than 10 targets. That's what happens when you play in a high-volume offense. That's what happens when you play for the Colts on the team that had the most pass attempts in 2014. Even the number three receiver is fantasy-relevant. There are very few teams. We had Dennis Dunbar on the Football Diehard show last week, and he said there are very few teams that can support three fantasy-relevant receivers. The Colts are one of them, and that's why Dante Moncrief has to be acquired at all costs, because he is going to be potentially a wide receiver one in fantasy while T.Y. Hilton is out, and then he will be a wide receiver two slash wide receiver three when T.Y. Hilton comes back. Again, this is why we have playerprofiler.com. So you can look up Dante Moncrief, and your eyes bug out of your head, and you see him on the waiver wire, and you go, Oh my God, I have to get this guy!